and we're going to be continuing our series today about how we can find peace in this world that uh, most of the time at the moment doesn't seem particularly peaceful, does it? So this, um, this term so far, we've looked at things like finding peace in the storms in our lives, We've looked at renewing our minds. We've looked at peace at work. And um, last week, although I missed it, I was very sad to miss it, Izzy talked about peace between men and women. So this week, to finish off the last one in the series, I'm going to talk about peace with our environment. I have to start by saying that I'm definitely not an expert on environmental issues or climate change or living sustainably. Last year in Lent, I kind of started a journey of trying to give up plastic. The Church of England did this... um, Plastic-free Lent, I think they called it. So I tried to do a little bit last year. And kind of since then, I've been working out a bit more how we can live in a way that is sustainable and help to save the planet that we all inhabit. I have to say, I've done quite a lot of work, for uh, research for this talk. Kind of every time I look at one thing and find one question answered, there's about five more that need answering. So I feel like I've spent hours trying to find out and still got more questions than answers, I think. And I'm sure there's lots of you here that can, can kind of add lots of things to this conversation who will have ideas that I haven't even thought of yet. And so I hope that kind of this is a conversation that carries on in church, that we can keep thinking about how to um, live sustainably and look after the world that we live in. So climate change, global warming, plastic pollution, all things that have been in the news and kind of at the forefront of people's minds a lot recently. There have been protests around the world um, there have been documentaries on TV, and there have been, I don't know about your social media, but mine's had petitions popping up all over the place about um, giving up plastic and things like that. So rather than me telling you what climate change actually is, I thought we would go to the expert, David Attenborough. He's going to tell us what this all means for us. Thanks, Joss. Standing here in the English countryside, it may not seem obvious but we are facing a man-made disaster on a global scale. In the 20 years since I first started talking about the impact of climate change on our world, conditions have changed far faster than I ever imagined. Before we started to burn coal, the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere was about 280 parts per million. It's now over 400 parts per million and the planet gets warmer and warmer. We are seeing the impacts of climate change now play out in real time. They're no longer subtle. We're not just talking about an inconvenience. We're talking about people's lives, their livelihoods, and their communities being damaged. Join the dots. It's happening. It's happening in your world. It's happening in my world. And let's be very clear about this. It is going to get much worse. It may sound frightening, but the scientific evidence is that if we have not taken dramatic action within the next decade, we could face irreversible damage to the natural world and the collapse of our societies. There are thousands of scientists around the world in almost every single country working to understand what will happen in the future if we don't act and we don't do more They predict that if we carry on as we are now, where CO2 continues to increase, we would hit one and a half degrees global warming by between 2040 and 2050. 
we're on course to go through 1.5 degrees in just a few decades time and the models differ slightly as to exactly when and not long after that we're on a trajectory to go through two degrees. It really becomes difficult to see at such levels of warming how we're going to maintain our agriculture such that the population of the world can actually feed itself. And ensuring people have access to clean, safe drinking water will become much more difficult. Developing countries that are at the front line of this battle. Those parts of the globe which will suffer the most and the soonest are not those parts of the globe which have actually loaded all those carbon dioxide in the atmosphere in the first instance. But you have to understand this is also a crisis for the world. The fact is that if the poor are suffering today, then the rich will also suffer tomorrow. We're running out of time, but there is still hope. It's actually not that far. And we're going to leave it there. <laughs> we could watch him all day, I'm sure. So climate change is about the level of warming of the world from pre-industrial levels. As you saw in that video, um, scientists are warning that we only have... Oh, Joss, could you just go back to the black slide? We'll come to that in a minute. Thank you. Um, yeah, scientists are warning that we only have about 10 or 12 years to limit this global warming to 1.5 degrees, which is like the acceptable level before they think there's going to be serious consequences for our planet. So on their website, the World, the World Wildlife Fund say this. We're already seeing the devastating effects of climate change on global food supplies, increasing migration, conflict, disease, and global instability. And this will only get worse if we don't act now. Now we can have that quote, Josh, thanks. Man-made climate change is the biggest environmental crisis of our time. It threatens the future of the planet that we depend on for our survival. And we're the last generation that can do something about it. It makes for quite a scary outlook, doesn't it? It is a bit depressing. And unfortunately, the way that the world is heading is not making clim reducing climate change easy. The population of the, earth apparently, of the Earth, sorry, apparently, is increasing by 80 million people every year. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? We're at, apparently at 7.7 .7 billion people in the world at the moment. So that means that food supplies and clean water supplies are being stretched further and further. And we're also living in a way that is wiping out three species of plant or animal every day. Forests are being cut down, waste is increasing, air quality is getting worse. So, it is a bit depressing, sorry. We might think there's not a lot we can do here in Tunbridge Wells about this huge problem. But what should our response be to this as Christians? What should our relationship be with the world around us if we love and worship a creator God? How can we live at peace with the environment when the world around us seems pretty intent on destroying it. So as you uh, heard from our reading and as others have done in, previously in this series, we're going to just go back to Genesis to see how we're created in relationship with this world we live in. God made us initially to live at peace with the world around us, so that's what we need to get back to. So firstly, God made the world and he loves it, as we heard in that reading. He looked at everything he saw and said that it was really good. And we were made as part of that creation with the animals and the plants. We weren't given our very own day. God didn't create us all on our own. He made us with other living things. So we're not separate from creation. We're part of that. In fact, we were made from the dust of the earth. And God gives animals and humans plants to eat so that all creation works together to sustain itself. God's plan was that we should live in partnership 
with the rest of creation. But then we as humans have an extra responsibility. We're told to rule the world and subdue it. As Jane read, God, um, in Genesis it says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So we as humans are expected to rule the world, but to rule it as God would rule it. it not exploiting the world, but protecting it. Not taking advantage of all its resources, but looking after them and caring for them. And if God loves the world, then we should want to look after it and love it and take care of it for him, shouldn't we? So if we just stop and think for a minute, do we honestly live as if it's our calling and our purpose to care for the world? That is a fundamental part of what it means to be a human. That's how God made us. Are we living out that part of our calling? As well as going back to Genesis, I think we also need to look forward to Revelation. What is going to happen to this world when Jesus returns? We might think that when Jesus comes back, we're going to be all whisked away up to some heaven, faraway place called heaven, which actually has nothing to do with this earth. And in Revelation 21, verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The word in Revelation for new, apparently, is better translated as renew. And I think a lot of people these days kind of understand that as when Jesus comes back, he's going to restore the world that we're already living in back to everything that he created it to be. So if that's the case, then I think we need to be even more concerned about what we're doing to our planet and the world that we live in. But we can also hold on to this as hope, can't we? Jesus will come back and he will restore creation and we can look forward to that day. So I guess the big question is, how should we be living in the meantime? What should our attitude to creation be? Firstly, like Dedo said in her prayers, we need to be thankful for creation, don't we, and enjoy it. The world we live in is beautiful, and it is amazing, and so we need to um, be thankful to God for that. Another quote from David Attenborough, because he's got some great ones. It seems to me, he says, that the natural world is the greatest source of excitement, the greatest source of visual beauty, the greatest source of intellectual interest. It is the greatest source of so much in life that makes life worth living. That should be our response to creation, shouldn't it? Are you still in awe of God's creation? When you go outside every day, do you marvel at the things that God has made? That sense of wonder and excitement should encourage us to look after what God has made and not to destroy it. Secondly, we all need to take some action, I think. I'm not here today to tell you all what to do and to go home and to get rid of all the plastic in your house or anything like that, but I think it is a kind of a, a global responsibility for us all. And it's hard to see sometimes whether our individual action or whether governmental action is needed the most to stop some of the things that are happening. I think it's got to be both, to be honest. There are a lot of things that happen at country level or at world level, and it does feel that we're slowly starting to move in the right direction in that area. All the protests that have been going on recently do seem to be slowly getting through to the people who need to hear it. So a little bit of background. In 2015, nearly 200 countries signed the Paris Agreement in which they agreed to commit to keep global temperatures well below the two degrees above pre-industrial times. And also rich countries agreed to help poorer countries to achieve this. Now this is just a framework that countries have signed up to and most of you probably know that President Trump's already announced that he wants to withdraw from that. 
But on a much more positive note, on the 27th of June this year, so quite recently, the UK became the first country to sign legislation um, committing to reducing its climate change and pollution to net zero by 2050. So that means that the UK wants to offset and reduce all its greenhouse gas emissions to the point where anything that is emitted is offset by the same amount, so with things like tree planting and investing in um, clean energy projects. The UK is leading the way in this. They're the first country to do this. And so hopefully other countries will follow. However, the UK still needs to do a lot more and to act a lot faster. There's a Christian environmental charity called A. Rosha UK, and one of their um, uh, employees came and spoke to us at Revive last year. Its CEO, Andy Atkins, says this. He says, it is public pressure which has got the UK government to recognise the climate emergency and aim for net zero. That's a big success. It must now adopt bold policies consistent with that aspiration. But to achieve it, we will need a whole new scale and persistence of public pressure. And we can be part of some of that pressure. Things like writing to MPs, joining protests, if that's your thing. It's not my thing, but I know some people like to join protests. Signing petitions, all of those kind of things to make our voice heard, to let the government know that we want change. But it's not just government, is it? It's, it's all those big multinational companies that are churning out products that actually are destroying the environment. And there are lots of campaigns going on to do with that as well. Tear Fund is running a campaign at the moment called the Rubbish Campaign. Um, they're basically asking four of the biggest multinational companies, pe um, people like Pepsi and Coca-Cola, to commit to reducing plastic products and waste in developing countries. Um, they've got a really short video, so I thought we'd just quickly watch that. Thanks, Joss. So if you're interested in knowing more about that, I've got a few cards that Tier Fund have sent me, or you can just go online and have a look. You can sign the petition. You can make your own plastic pledge. That video is really fast, so you might want to go home and watch it again. But it said 450 billion plastic bottles are made every year. I mean, that's just mind-blowing, isn't it? So we can look out for campaigns like that. We can get behind them. But what about individually in our daily lives? What changes will make the most difference to the world around us? In my kind of journey from Lent last year, I've realized that giving up plastic isn't, isn't, the, I have to say isn't the best thing. It is a good thing, but it's not the best thing to make a difference in our individual lives. It's one of the things that we can do. Um, I don't know if... Anyone, any of you saw that three-part series on the BBC called War on Plastic? So, talking about plastic, they asked one street to try and reduce their plastic use, mostly single-use plastics, um, over a short period of time. And they all managed to reduce their plastic by about 40%. So imagine if we could all do just even half of that, reducing the amount of plastic that we throw away by 20%. That would make a huge difference if we could all do that. But like I said, it's not just about plastic. There are some other things that you can do which will make more of an impact. Um, so what I want to do is just give you a few general ideas um, of things that we can do. But also, if you're interested in more kind of specific, practical ideas, I've done a little leaflet that you can take home with you that I'll put at the back because I haven't got time to go through everything. We'd be here all day. <laughs> so a few general ideas of things that you can do. I think the most important thing is to remember that we're all responsible for climate change. We all add to the greenhouse gases that are going into our atmosphere. And so we can all make changes. 
The first thing I found that makes apparently the most impact individually is to reduce the amount of meat we eat, especially beef. Cattle produce a lot of greenhouse gases and the meat and dairy industries um, add more to climate change than transport as a whole. So reducing our meat and dairy intake even a little bit will help. And I think that's a fairly easy change. I mean, I've tried to cut down a bit of meat that we eat, have a couple of meat-free days a week, and it is doable. When people read Genesis 1, as we did earlier, the discussion about vegetarianism often comes up, doesn't it? And I'm not going to stand here and tell you all to go vegetarian or even vegan. I like my meat. But before the fall in the Garden of Eden, God just gave Adam and Eve plants to eat. It wasn't till later in Genesis 9, after the flood, that God said to Noah that he could eat animals. So if we're thinking about going back to how God first created us to be, then maybe eating less meat is a good place to start. The second thing that can make a really big impact is reducing our food waste. Food waste all along the supply chain accounts for 8% of global emissions. That's quite a lot, isn't it? I'm going to read you out some of these statistics because you might not be able to see them. Apparently 33% of all food produced globally is lost or wasted every year. A third of all food is wasted. 45% of root crops, fruit and vegetables produced globally is lost or wasted per year. And 25% of the food wasted globally could feed all of the 795 million undernourished people in the world. I know we can't do anything individually about that global crisis, but we can each do our bit to make a difference. We can try and reduce our food waste by just buying the things that we need, by trying not to throw food away, by buying local produce so it doesn't have to travel halfway around the world to get to us. And this is where kind of the issues get a bit blurred because you might think you want to buy loose fruit and veg without the plastic packaging. But actually, if that's come halfway around the world, that's worse than buying something in plastic that's come up the road from Kent. So, it's, yeah, it's not a simple, it's not a simple solution. The third area where we can make quite a bit of change as individuals is swapping to green energy suppliers and uh, using LED light bulbs. Green en energy is no longer expensive. It's really reasonable. And it's worth doing a comparison and seeing if you can swap to a green supplier. Because the more people that change to renewable energy, the more that will drive on a national level needing to get more renewable supplies. Basically, if you change to an energy supplier that offers renewable energy, then for every household that signs up to that, they have to put that amount of renewable energy into the grid. Back to Tier Fund, they sometimes do these big switches um, where they kind of get a really good deal if a number of people sign up and switch at the same time, so it's worth having a look at that. The fourth one is fashion, which if you came to the Life and Soul fashion show, Izzy talked about. Fashion, oh, I've lost my place, there we go. Fashion, the fashion industry creates 10% of global emissions. So how can we shop more consciously? We can try and consider the ethics and the environmental costs of the clothes that we buy. We can look for natural fibers when we're buying clothes, not man-made ones. We can try and keep clothes for longer, not throw them away. Try and wash them a little bit less often, because all the man-made fibers, when you wash them, produce like little microfibers that go into the water system. We can try and buy clothes in charity shops or kind of swap shops like they did at the Life and Soul event. And finally, waste. Back to plastics, but a lot more than plastics. The culture that we live in is so materialistic, isn't it, and consumer-focused. 
We live in a world where we are encouraged to constantly want more, where everything is packaged for convenience and to save time and to save energy. Not many things are particularly made to last. It's easy to get sucked into it all. And yet, as Christians, we're called not to conform to the patterns of this world. We may think that the things we buy individually don't matter, but actually, our spending habits and where we shop send messages to the big companies and the people that we buy them from. So if we as individuals can start buying less, start wasting less, start seeing the world's resources as precious, then we are sending messages to the big companies and to governments. We're quite lucky here in Kent to do with our waste because everything that we throw away, actually, if it's not recycled, gets incinerated or composted. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try and reduce the waste that we make. Things that don't degrade and things that don't break down, um, things like wipes, nappies, sanitary products, cling film, cotton buds, straws, plastic cutlery, disposable cups. Can we try and reduce all those things that we only use once and then throw away? Or find more sustainable options for them? Can we try in all areas of our lives to choose longer-lasting products rather than disposable ones, to choose natural materials instead of man-made ones, to throw away less and reuse more. You might have heard of the three R's of waste management. In fact, if you Google it now, there seem to be, people seem to be adding R's all the day. There's hundreds of R's. But the main three R's are reduce, reuse, and recycle. And this is a good thing to remember as we try and cut down our waste. Reduce what we buy and try and reduce the packaging that it's packaged in. Reuse containers and water bottles and bags and buy things that can be reused like coffee cups and bags for life. Um, I know B wanted me to say, try and bring your own coffee cup to church so we don't have to use so many of our disposable ones. That's a whole other story, the amount of research I did into those cups to make sure they're biodegradable. Anyway, plastic can only be recycled a limited number of times and then it's still here on the planet. So reducing plastic is really important. But it's not just about replacing plastic with other alternatives either. As I found out, as soon as you start looking into something else that can replace plastic, that's got its problems as well. So we do have to try and reduce what we buy. One of the things that I tried to do as part of my Lent challenge last year was to start making more food from scratch. We'd got into a bit of a bad habit of just buying kind of convenient stuff. So we now make our own bread in a bread maker. Nothing wrong with bread makers. Um, we make our own pizza, chicken nuggets, cakes, things like that. And that's cut down a lot of the packaging that we throw away. It is possible to make a change. Dave Brookless, um, who was one of the founders of that charity that I mentioned, A. Rosha UK, um, He's written a book, apparently, called Planet Wise, but I didn't have time to get it and, and have a look at it, but I looked at some of his podcasts. He says that making these decisions in our daily lives is part of our worship to God, and I think that's a really good way of looking at it. Part of being at peace with our environment is knowing that we're doing our best to look after it, and that's part of our worship to God. So making decisions when we're shopping about how far food has travelled and reducing packaging is part of our everyday worship. Reducing the amount of waste that we create by buying less, recycling more, composting more, taking our own coffee cup or lunchbox is part of our everyday worship. 
Shopping for clothes which will last and which won't shed microfibers every time we wash them is part of our everyday worship. Enjoying creation and looking after it more by picking up litter and growing our own food is part of our everyday worship. We as Christians should be at the forefront of change and action, shouldn't we, as we strive to make peace with the world that we live in. We, should, we can worship God through care for our planet and by trying to live more simplistic, less materialistic lives. I'm coming in to finish. I've given you loads of information. I've got two more quotes before I finish because everyone else generally says it better than I do. So the first quote I found on Facebook, you won't be able to read it, but I'll read it out. It says this, You can argue all day about whether one person not using straws or going vegan makes a global difference. The point is the mindset. We need to change our thinking from this idea that the earth is a bottomless pit of resources and start acting like what we do matters. Changing the philosophy of cultures and societies starts with individuals changing their own hearts and minds. That's the importance of grassroots action. It's not that my composting will empty landfills of food waste, but my changed mind and heart may influence others, and that could spread and change the world. And the second quote is from the Swedish teenager Greta Thunberg, who has been um, campaigning for governments to start taking action. She says this, The climate crisis has already been solved. We already have all the facts and solutions. All we have to do now is to wake up and change. Once we start to act, hope is everywhere. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you did make a wonderful world for us to live in. And I thank you that you've given us responsibility to look after it. And Father, I just pray that as we stop and think for a minute, Father, that you would just help us to think about where we could make some small changes, Lord. Help us to care for your world, Lord, to want to look after it. And to make those changes that we can to make that happen, Lord. Help us to influence those around us and those in power. And Lord, we're sorry for the times that we haven't looked after your world. We're sorry for the things that we've done that may have upset you and hurt you. We pray that you'd show us, Lord, what we can do to make a change. Amen.